It's just good to be gathered with, with you all as God's people. And uh, we're going to pick back up in our series on uh, the idea of us being called out by God, called out uh, of darkness and into his light, called out from the world, called out from our sin. And, uh, and so we're going to look there and get back to that idea of the kingdom of God and what it looks like in this world. But in looking back in preparations for this, uh, um, since I've taught on this passage a number of times, I just looked back and, you know, what did I say in the past? And uh, interestingly, I ran across a sermon from August 8th, 2010, my first Sunday at Grace Point. And this is how I started that sermon. Do you ever find yourself looking for a purpose in life? A purpose so compelling that it absorbs every ounce of your attention. A purpose deep enough to keep you focused in a single direction. A purpose enduring enough to carry you through the balance of your days here on earth. The Russian author uh, Dostoevsky, he wrote this in his, his uh, novel, The Brother, Brothers Karamazov. He said, in really a commentary on life, uh, about one character that gives an account of the effect on the soul when it doubts its purpose. So a person that doubts its purpose, this is his comment, for the secret of man's being is not only to live, but to live for something definite. Without a firm notion of what he is living for, man will not accept life and will rather destroy himself than remain on earth. It's kind of a sobering picture, and if you think through it, not knowing why you live creates all sorts of issues. What could be so compelling to actually give us that kind of purpose? What's interesting about uh, beginning that sermon, that I had actually preached on this passage a year before I came to Grace Point. And after I preached that, we knew we would be looking and God would lead us somewhere. Uh, so after I preached that sermon, we're driving home and Linda says this. <laughs> she says, uh, that needs to be your first sermon wherever we go. <laughs> and so I followed suit. And, uh, uh, but now here we are. Uh, not 2010, but almost 10 years later, and uh, really the same idea, the same notion in front of us, I'm not going to preach the same sermon, uh, but the, the same concepts, the same message really coming out of verse 10 of the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Uh, on earth as, as it is in heaven. What does it look like for us uh, to be a part of the kingdom of God and building his kingdom and living for his kingdom on this earth? And so I would welcome you to stand, and I'm going to read this passage uh, first, and us just submitting and surrendering our lives uh, or our will uh, to the Word of God. I'm going to read it first, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, but we're going to do the version that we all know. And if you're new to uh, church experience, and maybe you don't know this, the words are going to be up on the screen. Um, by the way, we're a debts church, not a trespasses church. And so, but if you go with trespasses, just go with it and just be proud. Uh, and um, that's all right. So, all right. Uh, so verse 9, just um, as Jesus, he says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the first part of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to pray and open our time. We're going to pray the entirety of the Lord's Prayer together and just ask God to be in our midst. So let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. C.S. Lewis said this, or wrote this at one point. He said, if you aim for heaven, you get earth thrown in. If you aim for earth, you get neither. What he's saying is that he's really asking the question, what are you living for? What is the, the purpose of your life? What do you aim for? If you're living to find the greatest life that you can find on this earth, you're focused here. Are you living to maximize your pleasure on earth? Lewis would say to you and say to me that to focus on the things of this world will not only cause you to not get the things of this world, basically to focus on them, you're going to miss them. Meaning if you focus on getting a great life, you're not going to find a great life. If you focus on pleasure, you're not going to find pleasure. But you will also lose the life in the world to come. But yet, if you live for and focus on the world to come, the kingdom of heaven, then you will gain both heaven and the life that you are seeking on earth now. And so when we think about this idea of the fourth season of called out, you know, we've looked at the other contrary voices that the, the world is speaking to us, or maybe the dialogue in your own, uh, your own mind is, is kind of speaking to you. We looked at the contrary voices, we looked at God's voice, we looked at what it is for us to live as God's people, but now we're going to look at what is it for us to live in the world. What is it for us to be kingdom-minded of the things of God, uh, to, to find tangible ways that the kingdom can be expressed, tangible ways that people can experience the kingdom of God. And so we're going to be in that, uh, that concept all the way until we move to the property, probably for the next two or three months-ish, uh, and then uh, a couple transition weeks, and then we're going to the book of Acts of what is the move of God and through the gospel, and what does it look like for that to expand. We're going to start that when we get to the new property. But in order to look at the idea of the kingdom and what does it look like for us to be kingdom-minded, to be, to be focused on the kingdom of God, ex, uh, you know, not exclusively focused on what's right in front of us, we're going to do a study on the book of Matthew. Now, in two to three months, we don't have time to do a verse-by-verse -verse chronological study of Matthew. But we're going to take a look at the kingdom the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, they're all meaning the same thing. Uh, and really the idea of the kingdom of heaven, as it's spoken of in the book of Matthew, uh, is, is a way that, that that time would speak of God. They were afraid of saying his name and taking it in vain. And so they would refer to things of God by using the phrase, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus uses that. He uses the kingdom of God. He uses the kingdom. They're all speaking about the same 
thing. And in the book of Matthew, uh, there are 53 verses that mention the kingdom. Most of them, like 95% of them, are talking about the kingdom of heaven as Jesus is introducing it. Uh, If you really want one chapter to focus on the idea of the kingdom, look at Matthew 13 and read through it uh, many times. We're going to spend a lot of time in Matthew 13 as Jesus teaches the kingdom parables. What does the kingdom of God look like? What are its characteristics? How does it grow and how does it function? And so we're going to look at this concept through the lens of the book of Matthew. And uh, um, so I want to ask you the question, uh, what's really wrong with this world? What's really wrong with this world? You know, you watch the news, and you're like, man, what's wrong with this place? What's wrong with people? Can you imagine, you read these articles of of different things and just horrific atrocities at times. Um, I read one uh, yesterday, and honestly, I wouldn't even speak it, uh, things that are happening around our world. It's just awful. But what's really wrong with our world? Is it all the bad stuff that's happening or is it something else? Jesus is teaching how to pray. And where does he start? He starts with God. He doesn't start with the world. Jesus, when he, when he teaches us to pray, is saying that, God, that prayer must be God-focused. So in, in the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. His name, his rule and reign, his will be done. Yet, what's the natural inclination of mankind? The natural inclination is to be self-focused. My name, my world, I'm in charge, my will be done. That's the natural inclination of every human heart in this room and in the rest of the world. So what is wrong with the world is the same thing that's wrong with us in our natural inclination is that we are naturally self-focused rather than God-focused. We naturally want to run our own world rather than submitting ourselves to God's will. You know, when we were created to live, uh, we were created by God for Him to live as, or us to live with Him as our Father and underneath His Lordship, His dominion, His kingship. Yet, what's the human heart say? We want to be king. We're made to live under his kingship, yet we want to be king ourselves. You know, the, you know we'll take the fatherly love part, but you know what? We kind of get off the bus at the king part, right? Because a king says uh, that he is the one to direct our lives. And so when we talk about the king and we talk, to, or not, or we talk about the kingdom and what's wrong with this world, there's a sense where, uh, just like in 1 John 5, it says the whole world lies in or under the power of the evil one. What's wrong with this world is that we are not submitting to God. We are not uh, seeing that our life is found in Him. We want to rule our lives. We want our will, our name, our kingdom to exist. That's the natural inclination of the human heart. 
And so what's wrong with this world is more than behaviors, it's that we want to run things. And that's not just everybody outside, that's every person in this room. So in what ways are you saying, you know what, I need to run my life. I need life to go the way I want it to. I need to do this. In what way have you said your life is yours and it is outside uh, from under the dominion of God? And so what's wrong with this world is that. Uh, we've used the word autonomy a lot in here. You know, we want to live by, on our own by ourselves rather than anybody else, especially uh, a king ruling us. But that's really what we need. We need a king. Uh, and so when Jesus prays, thy kingdom come or your kingdom come, he is connecting uh, the most frequent term by which God is referred to in the Bible, and that's the term king. Okay, he's connecting to that, and he's connecting to it in terms of father. Uh, and so Richard Pratt, so he was a, a professor at a Reformed Theological Seminary down in Orlando. He's not there anymore. But he said this uh, in speaking on the kingdom. He says, kings are terribly inconvenient to your personal life. Okay? And yet, that's what we're praying for. Jesus says, pray for that. Kings are terribly inconvenient to your personal life. Because a king says, it's my way or the highway. Uh, you know, we say his will be done. The king speaks, speaks and you listen. The, the kingship and his will are very closely related. A king reigns, a king rules, a king is sovereign over all things. And in those terms, what does it mean for Jesus to be king? It means that if you and your Christian walk conveniently fits into your life and King Jesus is not uh, kind of rubbing up against your life in any way, you may be in trouble because kings change their subjects. The way I want to live my life needs to conform to what Jesus is calling me to as my king. And if there's no rub, in your life, and no discomfort at all, I wonder, have you grasped the concept as Jesus, of Jesus as king? But here's where it flips, because when you hear the idea of king and dominion and all that, most of us, well, you know, we're Americans, you know, we reject kings, you know, we say, go back to England, we want to we wanna rule ourselves, right? That's American. And so kings are negative to the American mindset, Right? So when we hear it, we feel, you know what, if a king rules over us, we are going to lose out. And so if Jesus is going to be a king, we want nothing of it. But yeah, Jesus says, thy kingdom come. In the kingdom of God, this is where it flips. It returns us to exactly what we were created for. Back to where we started. What were we created for? To live with God as our Father and to live under His rule and reign. That was our design as people. That was our design and our best. God made this world to hinge on Him, and we find our being in Him. And so the, the kingdom of God resets that. The kingdom of God brings us back into that relationship that though we naturally want to reject Him as King, it brings us not to His thumb on our lives kind of kingship, but the one where his rule actually frames our life so that we can find that greatest life, the pleasure, the joy, all of that that you're seeking and I'm seeking 
is found in submitting yourself to King Jesus. In a sense, it, it reorients to bring us back to the very essence of what our life was meant for. We need to find meaning in life and some sort of satisfaction. You are going to never find it outside of surrendering yourself to Jesus as king. If, you can, if you've been on that quest, you can probably answer that uh, and, and say that that's accurate because you haven't found what you're looking for yet. Other than surrendering to Jesus, you will never find the meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction you look for because you and I, everybody in this world needs a king. But let me submit something else to you, that a king and merely having Jesus as king is not enough. It's enough for your personal salvation, but it's not enough for you as one of God's people. Jesus as king does, is not meant to stop that he is your king. You and Jesus are just fine. Everybody else, you know, hope you figure it out too. The fact that you have a king and that being King Jesus, we also have a need for a kingdom. We, we have this, this need for Jesus, not just to save us, not just to, say, uh, to rule in our individual lives. We need Jesus to rule and to reign this world. We have a need for a kingdom. And so flip back to two different passages. They're not on the screen. But um, it, when John the Baptist is coming and preparing the way for Jesus, go back to chapter 3, verse 2. So flip, basically it's one page in my Bible. So Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. So this is what John the Baptist speaks as he's announcing Jesus coming and, and his ministry to begin. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven, meaning at hand or is near, is, is basically fast approaching. Uh, it's here now. Uh, so, so the announcement of Jesus' ministry, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here, is near. What does Jesus say in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 17? Okay, so Jesus comes, and he's baptized, he goes out and he's tempted out in the desert. And when he returns, this is what he says in chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Wait a second. John just said that. Jesus is now announcing his ministry with that same phrase. And it's not, I'm going to die for your sins and rise from the dead. He's announcing what it says in Matthew calls the good news of the kingdom. That is not how we talk about salvation. That's not how we talk about the gospel. We talk about the cross and resurrection. We talk about my personal sins, Jesus paying for them on the cross. All of this is accurate theology, but it doesn't stop there. And I think that's why many Christians, and I was at the front of the line, are bored with their Christianity. Because if it's just your sin, Jesus died on the cross and he rose again from the dead, and that's the totality of your Christian faith, and it doesn't touch anything else in this life except for you're going to tell somebody and maybe they meet Jesus in such a way. What, is it, what does it do for Monday morning when you're going to a job that doesn't mention anything of the things of God? 
Does Jesus rule and reign there? What about when you go play sports on a sports team or go to school or do so? Does Jesus reign there? Is that only under his lordship in order to give you an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus? Or does Jesus rule over everything in this world? I want to submit to you an expansion of probably the theology that you've been raised on and that I was raised on. It's not wrong. It's just not full enough. Abraham Kuyper is a Dutch theologian uh, back many years ago, and he would say that there's not one square inch on this earth over which Jesus does not say, mine. Jesus says, it is all mine. And that's why he came in flesh, not only to redeem people, but to redeem creation. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is here and now and growing. And he announces the gospel as the kingdom. And so what is the kingdom? It is Christ's reign uh, on this earth. But most of us, if you're, if, if you're really thinking about it, most of us think of the kingdom of God as a future thing. You know what? When I die, I'll enter the kingdom of God. When Jesus comes back, then the kingdom of God will be here. And I would say, uh, I would say that is most definitely part of it, but Jesus is saying it's here now. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. And so, yes, par uh, paradise was lost in that it was under the rule of, of the evil one, but it is being restored for the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, Habakkuk 2 says. The prophets are proclaiming the, the look of restoration. And you're saying, wait a second, if the kingdom's here, there's no way it matches that, uh, that the glory of the Lord is covering the face of the earth like the waters of the sea. There's no way that's what this looks like. And I would submit to you, agreed. Agreed. The kingdom is not here in its fullness, but it is most definitely started. And there's a phrase, and we're going to get into this in many other weeks, but this phrase of the already and the not yet. Jesus already has ushered in the beginning of the kingdom, yet it has not yet come in its fullness. Uh, one author described it uh, as the idea that we live uh, kind of at the place of the dawn. What he means is we don't live in night anymore, like pitch black darkness, but we don't live in the day either. We live at that place where the sun's about to come up. And, we, you know, it's like it's getting light, but yet it hasn't broken fully yet. You know it's coming. You see its effect. Uh, you see the glow of, of, uh, of the sun coming up but yet it hasn't yet gone to its full place of shining all over the earth. But yet we don't sit in complete darkness, but yet we don't sit in complete light either. We see in this, we live in this place of the dawning kingdom of God. It's here, and, but yet it is not here fully. But here's what's interesting. When we think of the idea for, of his kingdom, uh, when we think of uh, his kingdom in alignment with or in conjunction with the idea of the phrase that's just right after it, it says, his kingdom come, or your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
The first thing about a king is that you are subject to him. And his kingdom coming is that we are in subjection to him and his rule and his reign. We're praying that, that God's kingdom, uh, the kingdom of Jesus, would come and rule in our hearts, rule in the hearts of people, but also his reign and his rule would be evidenced throughout our world. We would love things to be in subjection to him, but there's a sense where there's alignment as well. It's in subjection to, but also in alignment with. Your will be done, but where? Again, here, on earth, as it is in heaven. And so when we celebrate ministries like Daybreak, when we celebrate uh, things that we're going to celebrate as a country tomorrow, like the civil rights movement and the work of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and many others uh, fighting for uh, the rights of, of people that were uh, being mistreated, when we, we think of uh, the idea of the heartbeat bill that the state of South Carolina right now is in front of the Senate, it was passed by the House of Representatives, it's going to sit in front of the, the, the Senate um, very soon. And if that passes, it recognizes uh, a great deal more of the personhood of a baby uh, in the womb. When we think of those things, that is bringing our world back into alignment with the things that God has set out. But yet, what's, what's interesting is culture's win tends to, or culture's uh, move tends to blow with the wind, right? Because a hundred years ago, uh, abortion being legal was unthinkable. Yet now, or, or you know, over the last 40 some years, uh, it is now acceptable. And so there's a sense where pursuing alignment, the things that God's will be done, without uh, things being in subjection, is only part of the story. Because subjection says, whatever God says, I will do. Mere alignment says, you know what, uh, I'm just going to uh, set things up uh, according to uh, the things that work, according to the will of God. But yet, if I think there's a better way, I'm going to kind of toss that out and change. And so it's not just set up the actual function of the things of God, restore justice. But we're praying for that and that people and lives in all aspects of our culture would come back into subjection to the living God. So it's not just subjection, but it's subjection and alignment. It's both of those different things. And so what I want to leave you with today, and we're going we're gonna to dissect this theme over the next many weeks, um, I want to leave you with the idea, I challenge you to go read the book of Matthew. Okay, order one of those ESV study journals again um, of the book of Matthew and, and just spend time looking for the announcement of the gospel is not merely, is not merely death for sin and Jesus' death for sin. It, it's there, the atonement of Jesus paying for sin, but it is Jesus announcing the kingdom, his rule and his reign to everything in this world. But yet it begins uh, with changes of hearts uh, in his people. And then all things come back under the reign in the rule of Jesus. Let me ask you this. Are you in alignment with Jesus as your king? 
And what I mean by that is, does your life line up with his word? Or are there places in your life where you have said, you know what? I know what God says, but I'm going to do this anyway. That would be, I'm claiming him as my Lord. He's my everything. He's my Savior, but I'm not going to do what he says. He's my, he's my rock. He's my refuge. He's my deliverer, but I'm not going to do the things that his word speaks. I'm in subjection to him, but I'm not doing what he says. That would be a misapplication of king and kingdom. And so for God's people, the, the issue of repentance is not first coming, just coming, back, coming to him, but it's coming back to him. Is when do I say I'm in subjection, but I live a lack of alignment? Or when are you just trying to get your ducks in a row and, and kind of get a, a, a great life, but yet your heart is really far from God because you're just trying to make your life work out? There's a sense where, is he your king and are you subject to him? Are you aligned with him and are you following him? And then when we get there, he becomes our king and then he sees us and we, we get to be used by him to see this world come under the lordship and the reign of Jesus. We see people come to know him. We see things that are wrong be made right again. We see injustice righted we see the powerless uh, fought for. We see the voiceless spoken for. Why do you think God talks so much in the Old Testament about the widow, the poor, uh, the foreigner? All the people that have no power in society are the ones that, that God seems to fight for. Why? Because that's the gospel. They're not... They're not less, they're not, more unimportant, not, not less important. It is the work of God, not just in the human heart, but bringing about justice and rightness and goodness and righteousness in our world. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Let's pray. Uh, God, would you, uh, would you take your word, Father, as we pray that. Um, uh, our Father who art in heaven, Father, we know that, you, that we are relationally tied to you, but God, you, I pray that we would grasp in full measure what it is that our will would become subject to yours, that our life uh, and our best and our joy is only found when we submit ourselves to you. Jesus, we pray that your kingdom would come in our own hearts, but we pray that your kingdom would come in this world as well. So, Father, I pray that we would uh, be ones who are excited about allowing people to experience your rule, your reign, what that looks like. Father, I pray that we would be excited about that first, that you would renew our hearts, and then, God, that you would allow that to have redeeming effect, blessing on our community around us. God, would you have... Uh, just amazing kingdom effect because, uh, because we have seen you as our king. We have enjoyed you as our king. God, we know that life does not work outside of that. And so, Father, um, convince us of that and help us to point and shine the light on you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.